0: And welcome to the very latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. Just before I introduce the three guests on tonight's podcast, and I can promise you that it's going to be out of this world today's lineup. Uh, you'll see why in just a moment. Let me just thank our main sponsor, who is Charles Louis Group, who is an advisory business advising on development finance, mortgage advice. An estate agency, they started out life as a simple mortgage company, offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages. Charles Louis now provides support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agency, an expert commercial financial team and renowned mortgage team. Uh, They are an independent um, mortgage advisor. And uh, they are run by CEO called Dave, who is a City fan. So if you contact them, charleslouis.co.uk, it's got the phone number on, and tell them that Ian Cheeseman sent you via Forever Blue. I'm sure it'd be chuffed to hear that. And by the way, um, I'm always looking for more sponsors because uh, we live in a tough world at the moment. So if you know anybody or yourself or your company would like to get involved in sponsoring either the podcast um, or the videos that I produce on YouTube, uh, then please contact me. Um, I'm available on Twitter at Ian Cheeseman. My direct messages are open, or you can look in the description and find other ways of contacting me. I'm sure it won't be hard on Facebook or whatever. Now, what a lineup I have tonight on the podcast. First of all, um, a player who I worked alongside for many years as co-commentator, one of the most gifted footballers ever to pull on a Manchester City shirt, and also a great man, too, a man of great integrity who I held of the very highest esteem. I could only mean Paul Lake. So Paul Lake is with us. I also have, and this is where the interstellar bit comes in, uh, a very special guest today who you may have seen me interview on the Forever Blue YouTube channel, if you haven't, go and have a look at it, um, because I did an interview about his career as a NASA astronaut. He flew in the Dragon space capsule that went earlier this year in 2020 up to the International Space Station, the first American manned flight from U.S. soil for quite a while. And uh, Colonel Doug Hurley was the captain or the, the one of the two uh, that went up along with Bob Benkin. And Colonel Doug Hurley is a massive Manchester City supporter as well as being a great man as well. And Carl, who is a regular contributor, or has become a regular contributor to the podcast, is based in Washington, D.C. So we've got a couple of Americans on the show tonight, which is perhaps fitting because it's been the weekend of Thanksgiving. So we'll get a different perspective, really, on being a Manchester City supporter. So welcome to all three. Um, I'm going to start, though, by asking Paul... Uh, we'll talk about other subjects a little bit later on, for example, uh, Lionel Messi, five substitutes, all that sort of stuff. But I'm going to start by looking back on the Burnley game. Um, a 5-0 win, uh, and an out-of-the-world performance, if you mind uh, the, the expression. So who better to start with the debrief on City 5, Burnley nil, and Paul Lake. And the question really, Paul, is, was this a performance that was stratospheric that was City absolutely back to the best or was it simply a case of Burnley weren't very good?
1: I think to go from the Spurs game to the Burnley game is quite interesting because what we found is Manchester City is that trying to, to build those relationships centre-half pairings, uh, centre-half to full-back, just to get that rhythm of the side where uh, Phil Foden plays as a wide player where he play centrally And we've had Bernardo Silva over the last few seasons. His form has been, you know, uh, slightly up and down. Two seasons ago, he's probably our best player. And yet, you know, last season, he really couldn't find his his rhythm. And the same this season, he's been slightly better, but he's still in and out. I think um, starting later with the pandemic, all those things combined and the disappointment of Champions League has meant that City have not really got into third gear, I'd suggest. I mean, I... I, um, I work at City and I've, I've seen the training pitch side. Due to the pandemic, I'm a, I'm a club assurance officer. So I'm standing pitch side watching Pep and the guys training. And the training is is incredible. You know, um, it's um, when you see those relationships, obviously you've got players that can play together. You've got John Stones coming back to some decent form. You've got Kyle Walker, who felt like he was the ever-present and the only choice at right back. You now obviously Cancelo has been able to step into that. But interestingly enough, I think it's our forward line, not having the uh, the strikers being fully fit. So Jesus and Sergio have not been able to get into any rhythm at all. Um Raheem Sterling, as we know, has been on fire for two seasons, but having that responsibility all the time has been tough on him too. So I think we probably just look like we were becoming more settled over these last few weeks, even though we've not been scoring goals, we've been creating chances. You know, we've been bet- the better team on so many occasions, and yet we just have not put our chances away, which has been frustrating for for, the, for Pep, for the team, and for all us fans. But I felt against Burnley, yes, they were slightly off. I've got to say that they do look a side that's struggling to find any kind of form, along with Sheffield United. But that said, yeah, Maris was absolutely brilliant. You know, he's, he's, um, you know, when he's on that kind of form, he's practically unplayable because there's not many players that can go in and out so comfortably and strike the ball so well with either foot. And if you if you do get too tight, if you overcommit, he just chops inside you. So he's, if for a fullback, it must be awful to play against. But even Kevin looked like he was, he's just getting back to his form. For, for Belgium, it felt like he's been Far, far better than for City, and that's saying something because your standard is that high, you know? But you just feel like some of the players are just starting to move from, from second gear to third gear, and on occasionally getting into fourth gear. So my opinion, uh, Cheesy, is that, okay, we're not that many games into the season. There's many games to go. I feel that we're just starting to find our rhythm, but we've got two games a week until January. God forbid I'm touching wood here, we don't get any injuries. That's going to be our concern, is that if we can keep players fit, we can have a striker playing regularly, I think we'll start to turn these performances into winning performances and start scoring goals. As we know, we're City fans. We've been the highest scorers in the league for many seasons. We've been nothing like this season. So there's a lot more to come. It's really exciting. you know. But I just feel that Pep's trying to get a settled side and now he knows the Champions League is safe, he's still going to start to rotate a little bit more, keep players fresh, keep players fit. But ultimately, I think that this team this, this going into the new year, if we, can, if we can put a rhythm together and a run together, I think we can really change for the league again. People can write City off far too soon, but I just think that you know, all things considered, it's a really strange season. You know, in training, just the feeling of football has been so, so different. And other clubs, I'd suggest, have acclimatised better than we have. But when all said and done, we know as City fans, the quality we've got. You know, if we can get our strikers, keep our strikers fit, I think this season, Cheesy, is still going to be very much up for grabs.
0: You quite rightly praised Riyad Mahrez there and... Um, At the risk of sounding like I'm being patronising here to our two American contributors, I don't know how much you interact with City fans and hear and see what they say, but there has been a fair amount of criticism of Riyad Mahrez, certainly before this game. Um, Let's come to you, Doug, and say, you know, is is Riyad Mahrez a player that you admire? And from what I've just said, if you weren't aware of it, are you surprised that there is... Quite a lot of negativity around Mars and certainly before this game of the weekend.
2: I, I'm kind of amazed. It's just when I when I read all the different social media from over there, it, it is amazing how rough the fans treat the players at times. It, it's certainly different than I think the American press treats treats our professional athletes. It's it's it seems like a level more incisive uh at times um and with Marez, I, I just get the feeling and, and I think I think Kevin De Bruyne said it uh was quoted maybe a couple of weeks ago or maybe even after the Tottenham match that you know they're they just they they came back late they had seven days essentially seven days to start the season and then right into the two games a week two international breaks where they played and And I think, you know, this, Pep's teams have always seemed to have, as Paul, I think, put it perfectly, they just need to get into a rhythm. And once they kind of settle and then with a couple new players with Farron coming on and Ruben coming on. uh, But I think with Mares, it's just you cannot deny his quality. He put on a clinic yesterday. I mean, it was just amazing. He scored three different ways essentially it looked like and it was so neat to see him do that especially after the the, the Tottenham match which he had a I think he was going up against Hoberg most of the time and, and had a pretty tough match in that particular one and I think that happens um but I, I but I just think he like a lot of the players just they're not quite through the gears yet and yesterday was the first the first match, and and I will even say uh, the Champions League match during the week, they seem to go through the gears a little better. And and it, and it, and the other thing for me personally is John Stone seeing kind of hopefully a resurgence with him. Oh, you know, he 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 was pretty flawless yesterday. Uh, I mean, he was kind of filling in where they needed him in defense. They got a little ragged towards the end of the uh, second period and uh, or the second half, and. And it seemed like he was filling the few gaps that started to open up as, as Pep subbed uh, folks in. So, um, yeah, I, I just, Marez, I remember watching him when he was a Lester player and was just, he was amazing. He would carry that team when, especially when Vardy was out, uh, he would carry that team almost single-handedly. And, and now he's got Kevin when Kevin that, you know, that, that one pass was just spectacular for the first goal. Uh, just the way he delayed and then crossed. Uh, and then, of course, the, uh, the header uh, from uh, Phil, right? That was across from Phil. Uh, that was spectacular. I mean, it was just, uh, it was neat to see him hit his stride. And, and I think they really, you know, can build on this from a confidence level, too.
0: What did you make of uh, that victory against Burnley then, Carl? Are you just as optimistic as the other two, or is there any skepticism in you?
3: Well, I'm always glad to Uh Paul. First of all, Paul, uh, I met you, uh, it's good to see you again. I met you, uh, uh, I think, a year or two ago for a Champions League game. It was against Schalke. We won 7-0. I think you, you, gave the, you presented during the uh, uh-huh. tunnel club thing. I, I was there that day. Uh-huh. And, uh, nice to meet you. And, and Colonel Doug, I'm a massive fan of you. Um, I watched you go up and began to actually pray for you, that, that, that mission, and uh, followed you all the way through. Uh, fantastic to see you here, and you're a massive fan. I really respect the work that you do. So it's great to be Thanks, among yeah. Paul Lake and Doug, and, uh, and of course, Ian. I, I, with me and Mahrez, I have a weird relationship with Morris, um <laughs> because he's a fantastic player. I love, him. I love him when he's on form. I think the challenge that he has is that City fans are used to 17, 18 season, where we had Sterling on the right, Sonny on the left, and they were explosive, they were dynamic, they pulled the pitch wide. Uh, it wasn't an inverse ringer, it was basically a left footer on the left on the left flank and the right foot on the right flank. So we pulled the pitch wide, we're going in behind. Because Morris is traditionally one-footed, left-footed, he tends to cut in. And against a back six, he, gets back, he jumps off the back. So it may take some time for him to get up to speed, but that is the frustration that most fans have. In our minds, we have this standard of that 17-18 season where we explosive. That's a benchmark he's trying to reach. And I don't think he's a traditional winger. I think he's more of an inside forward, which is what he played for Leicester. So that's, I think, the, the benchmark that City fans are used to, uh, that 17-18 season, explosiveness. And Maris, he's an inverted winger. But against Burnley, he was fantastic. Everything worked well. Um, I, when I watched the Champions League game um, against, uh, I think it was uh, Olympiacos, that game, I really enjoyed that game. The control the possession the dynamism the, the, the hunger the drive the, the pace of the game was really good i think we're on the uptick. i, I tell my friends all the time I say, look we play wolves away we played Leeds away we played tottenham we played liverpool we played arsenal and we're still near there with the game in hand and now we have a good run let's get the run through play that we can play and you never know what can happen by january so i'm hopeful ever the optimist
0: what do you think of Carl's comments there, Paul, about the, the difference in the way that Mahrez is isn't, isn't, isn't you not know, an inverted winger rather than an outside winger? Because I think that's a very valid point.
1: I think with Riyad, I mean, he's such a talent that basically he could play anywhere across the middle. You know, he could also probably play off the striker as well. And I think this would be all, though, with City fans, uh, because of how Pep sets his teams up, there is that real fluidity across the front line, which means that at any one time, Riyadh could end up being the centre forward or, or Raheem Sterling could be. And, uh, you know, at the same time, Gabby could end up being left side or even as a number six. You just you just, you just rotate the movement as such. What's interesting about um, Riyad Mahrez, and I would suggest this is, um, it's, it's been incredible. Pep Guardiola coming to the Premier League has meant that he has changed football in the Premier League. You know, I work for the Premier League and I see first teams play. I see the 23s, I see the 18s. And, I mean, how teams set up, how we play from the back, how we play through the thirds, you know, all of this has come from Pep Guardiola. You know, we're talking about maybe Jurgen Klopp's changing football at Liverpool, but Pep Guardiola has changed football in the Premier League, in this country as a whole. And what you're finding is that now for wide players, it's so much more difficult. We'll see the ball be manipulated from side to side. And you'll see how the fullbacks are pressed, are pressing the wide players. There is no space to go into. They are on the touchline. So the only place to go is in the pitch, is to go inside. Now, if you can double up on that side, what we used to see with David Silva, he was getting to the pocket, or the opposite side. it might be whoever that might, might be Ilkay, it might be Rahim, it might even be Fernandinho, whoever that might be, Kevin De Bruyne, as, as we know is that, but coming inside to play off of that man, to try and get into those wide areas, you know, was, was easier. Now teams are set up to stop City <laughs> trying to get in beyond, especially in those wide areas. So, because as well, Riyad, let me, let me say he's sharp, he's quick, his touch is amazing. But he's not lightning quick. Whereas Ferran is, you know, Raheem is, Leroy Sané was and is for Bayern Munich. You know, so he has to be he has to be more clever. He has to be on the front foot. He needs to try and just get people off balance and then he uses his feet rather than strength. He uses his guile to try and get in beyond and round players. But I suggest for, for, for Riyad as well, because of the fact that he's coming from you know those wide areas where as soon as he's pressed, he'll either play it back, play into the middle, or try and flick it inside and go for the one-two. It's so much more difficult for Riyad to try and stamp his authority. He's having to rely on other players to bring him into the game. So sometimes it looks like he's not done much, but if you can't get the ball, get on the ball. And if you come against a really physically strong fullback, like, for instance, if Kyle Walker was playing against Riyadh, you know, he would press him in his face, you know, be really physical. It'd be hard for him to try and get into the game. And therefore, he'd have to go more central and float around a bit more. So I think with Riyadh, this season, yeah, you could argue that he's not quite been at his best until the weekend. But actually, you know, when you see how the team's playing against City now, it is so much more difficult. Whereas Liverpool will go with a high four. And be really aggressive as a front four in pressing, and they'll do that for 65 70 minutes. Then, by that time, hopefully for them, they put teams to bed games to better than 2 0, the 3 0. Up. But if you can stay in there, Liverpool against stretched now, in the last 20 minutes of games. But that's how teams now are looking they're playing against City in a different way. There's far more energy, they're far more physical, there's no spaces to play into. So, City had to be supreme. In terms of their their A game, to now be beating teams three and four nil. So we beat Sheffield United one nil. It's games like that that still didn't be the case because of how teams are setting up. So actually, it's um, in one respect, Pep Guardiola has been amazing for us. But now all the teams are getting to drill down into the detail of how to get the best out of their teams defensively, playing against Pep's teams. And that is so much more difficult now for Riyadh, for Ferran, for Phil Foden to be able to dominate games. Whereas previously, it's been far more open. They'll try and go like for like or even sit in deep. But either way, teams would never be as compact as they are now. You mentioned Fran Torres a couple of times,
0: though, and he's not a player we've really talked about a lot yet on the podcast because he's a relatively new player. I mean, I saw, as I'm sure everybody else did, a few little snippets of him on YouTube or whatever, and I was trying to weigh up where he was going to play, and I, he played a little bit on the left-hand side, I think, when he played his first few minutes in the team. Um, I'd seen him as a right winger. we have seen him playing down the middle, um, all three of you can have a go at this if you like, or or just dive in. But I just wonder what you make of him as a player, and where you think he fits into this team. Is he is he going to play centrally? Is he going to be a wide man, or is he going to ultimately get a free role like Kevin De Bruyne seems to get? Because at the moment he seems to be under the uh, you know the Pep guidance. So if you do whatever you want, uh, Kevin, you go wherever you want. You just as the game flows, you just go where you need to go. And I'm trying to weigh up what Ferran Torres is and how he fits into all that. For
2: for me, uh, you know, I I hadn't really heard of him before. So, uh, I mean, he's been, in my in my mind, a very pleasant surprise. I mean, he's hitting the ground running. He's scored several times already. He's had a couple of assists. So I just feel like, you know, and you see that uh, a lot of times, especially with smaller players, adapting to the Premier League, the physicality, uh, you know, it just takes them a lot more time. You know, I remember, uh, I can't know uh, Was that his name? He was kind of a similar type of player in, in some respects, certainly not as fast as Farron is, but, uh, that same kind of physicality and he just never really adjusted to the premier league that that same way. And it seems like Farron's picking it up quickly. He seems to have a very adaptable game where he can play, as you said, cheesy, uh, all over. You know, he was, a, he was a journeyman striker, and, and I think he did okay, uh, considering. And, uh, you know, I, he scored at least four goals and had a couple of assists so far. He had, uh, you know, he was in the right place at the right time yesterday. And, you know, uh, Gabby, perfect pass right down the middle there. And so I, I, I can, I'm kind of happy that we have that flexibility and it, also the speed, which, you know, for me, Leroy was just unbelievable on the wing. And uh, you know, I you'll you'll never replace him. I don't think uh, you know because he's just got that unique talent. But uh, I think Farron is 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 a is very capable, and, I, and I'm very optimistic with him too. That uh, it just gives Pep another option, depending on you
3: know who we're facing on that particular day. He's so young as well, Carl, isn't he? Yeah, I watched Ferran a couple of games in the Champions League against Atalanta, um, then the Europa League. And you know, before City were interested in him, I thought, this kid is good. This kid has scored a few goals, did a few things on the left and the right. I thought, this kid is really good. And when I heard that we were going after him for 20 million pounds, 20, 21 million pounds, it's an amass, that's a steal. I mean, that's a steal. Mm-hmm. And if you notice his game he comes alive more than the Premier League. It takes time to adapt to the Premier League. But in the Champions League, the kid is brilliant to watch. He's comfortable. He knows how To play in the Champions League, he also up to Europe, from the left, his right, the central. His awareness and positioning is great. His combination plays on the left and the right are fantastic. The kid can only grow, and I'm really, really impressed with that, that buy. That buy and for him to come to the club is amazing. And it's just what 21 22 still miles ahead for him to grow and learn the pep way the, and to play in the Premier League. So I'd love to see him play more, start more. Um with Sterling and Foden. Let's see what happens, with that dynamism that, that we've had before. So great buy for, for the club, fantastic.
0: I want to change subjects now to, to something that, that is probably brilliant to hear from all three of you on this subject. It's not a new subject, it's something that everybody's sort of talking about really at the moment. Ever since Pep Guardiola extended his stay, the possibility of Lionel Messi coming seems to be, uh, you know, is, has increased, you know, there is more of a chance... Uh, I don't expect any of the three of you, to, unless you want to, to comment on what the likelihood of this is. But I don't think it's unreasonable of us now to sort of talk about this and think, well, you know, what impact will this have? We've talked about Riyad Mahrez. He tends to occupy the position that traditionally Messi has occupied at Barcelona. So maybe that will impact on him. there's talk of uh, you know, all sorts of rumours that Messi will get a 10-year contract. He'll play for two years at City, then go to New York for two years and then become an ambassador for the City Football Group for six years. And you can definitely see from a purely commercial point of view the benefits of having Lionel Messi as part of the City Football Group. From a footballing perspective... Um, have we seen the best of Lionel Messi? And is he coming over? And this is an ironic question, really, with two American guests on here. I can remember a long, long time ago um, going to New York before either of you two probably were aware of football or maybe even born. But I remember going to New York in 1979 to watch former City player Dennis Stewart play in a team with... Um, You know, uh, Beckenbauer and Pele was playing for them and all the rest of it at that time, and they were getting 80,000 crowds. But the fact is that the NASL, as it was back then, was seen as a sort of pension club, if you like. It was like your your career's finished and you go there, you make a bit of money, you do a bit of PR, and, and then you hang your boots up. Are we guilty as a club now of that being what messi is he we, are, we become the pension club just for, for corporate progression or do you think messi if he comes can can make city a better team and anyway where, how do you feel about the whole thing so there's a whole load of different ways that you can look at this so let, let's start with paul with a sort of football perspective although you can talk about the corporate perspective as well if you want paul but what what will messi bring at this stage in his career footballing wise and could he upset the balance, the tempo, the pace of the city team?
1: Um I wouldn't say that he would upset the pace of the team, it's because of his footballing brain. I mean that that is something that we all know. You know, the guy is an absolute genius. At the same time, if you if you remember when uh, Diego with the season before he kind of hung his boots up, he had a pretty forgettable season at Sociedad. I know as his as his career is coming to an end. Uh, and visibly and he had other issues. When you see Leon Messi, you know, he, he's able to manage all of the, the background noise. And let's face it, it is loud, but he's able to manage that. And at the same time, he 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 wouldn't necessarily play in any one position, not necessarily, you know, that in the place of Riyadh Mahrez or in the place of Kevin De Bruyne. You know, he would embrace and function. You know, in any position, but you you probably argue that he would play um, more as a as an eight. I mean, as Carl mentioned about Riyad playing in an inside position. You know, with with, with Lionel Messi, it'd be a case of wherever he has the ball, you know, he he can live. But That said, you know, the Premier League would love to have Lionel Messi coming into the, you know into our game. You know, whether he is at the latter stages of his career, he's still. He's still supremely fit I and mean, he's still scoring goals and winning games at times, still single handed. And you know that he'll sprinkle his gold to, to the Premier League. Yes, he's going to be physically marked probably more than well, as much as in his younger career, you know, in Spain. But I, I, I think that what, what um, Messi will bring is an education to the players that are already there. Kevin De Bruyne raised, has raised the bar, you know, since that silver. You know, has been in there, Yaya Touré and the likes. You know, and, and um, oh, and by the way, um, Doug, I always wanted to say that um, David Silva for me is is the prettiest star. So when you when you go up there again and you see the prettiest star, it will be David Silva. You know, as David Bowie once. Coined. But um, but the, the standards of this team now, would be taken up another notch if um, Messi was to come along and then you would see all the fans that have got Kevin on the back of the shirt, he'll be forgotten, it will be Lionel Messi. So from a commercial perspective, it will be breathtaking. But in all seriousness, when you have someone with the ability that Lionel Messi's got, with the awareness, the movement, the touch, the, you know, the the, the 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 vision that he's got, and the craft knowledge, people have tried to bully him, they will try to be in his face, they will try to surround him. It doesn't make a difference, you know, because of his genius and because of his awareness on the front foot all the time, thinking three or four moves ahead, he will score goals, he will create chances, and he will bring the best out of the players around him. So for me personally, I would be so excited. I don't want to tempt Faye Ian because it's happened twice in the past where we've had these these false dawns. But if it was to be, you know, in the new year, it would be absolutely amazing for the Premier League. And it wouldn't be a pension. It wouldn't be a pension for anyone. It would be an absolute delight for all of us. That's a very positive response. And and obviously part
0: of my job when I'm holding these debates is to put the other side of the argument. So let me let me come to Doug then and and say, do you see any negatives of this? I mean, obviously you're on the other side of the, the Atlantic and. You've been following City before, if Messi does come, before this sort of circus comes to town. So you're not just being attracted clearly by um, the name of Messi. Do you see any negatives of him coming if he comes?
2: It's really hard to see him if if there are. You know, um, you have a coach that coached him before, so he understands his his special – I mean, he's got – obviously, he's – one of the best if not the best football player ever and and still i believe as paul said you know he's still it, watching him even yesterday i think i mean he just he's he's amazing he can he can win games he he certainly hasn't got several years left in him at this level but he he certainly has a few potentially and, and you manage the minutes kind of like with Fernandinho and those kinds of things um the other the other thing that I think is exciting is to see how City adapts to him being on the side. Um, because he's certainly never been one that's been a high press player very often. So that that will be interesting to see how Pep adjusts or picks his team around him. But but as Paul said, I, I just don't see how, how there is a negative. I mean, it brings if he comes to the Premier League, it, it you know, you have arguably and I certainly believe the best league in the world uh, for competition. I mean, you have 10, 12 teams that could win it this year alone, which is just amazing. But then having him there and then uh, the only thing I worry about, and I think Carl's probably in the same boat, is how do we get a ticket now to a game? Because they, they there will not be an empty seat at the end ever again. Uh, So I'm a little worried that that, that's probably my biggest negative is ever getting to see a game in person again, uh, because they'll fill the seats, they'll sell the jerseys, they'll, I mean, all that stuff will be uh, unbelievable. But just to see him be coached by Pep, play with one of his closest friends in Sergio, and then just to see how City changes their tactics, Uh, I'm sure it'll be subtle, but how they change to, to suit his strengths, and uh, once again, as Paul said, Doug, they will score. I mean, he's only going to add to the goal tally. So Doug, uh, you
0: and I, you and I have spoken before, and, and I urge people to go have a look at the the YouTube channel and the interview that we did, which explains. How you became a city fan and you on your passion uh, but I just wonder whether uh, cl- presumably when you're you're, you're based in uh, you know in in Texas and, and and close to Houston and that's your your workplace when you're not in space I just wonder if there's a relatively low percentage of people that you work with that you call colleagues who if Messi was to come to city would suddenly show more of an interest than they did before do, do you think that would happen
2: well that's it i think messi's one of those players uh that almost everybody that even peripherally understands sport or follows a sport maybe not even football uh everybody knows who messi is and so i think absolutely it would bring fans to the sport and then of course fans to city by default if he ends up playing for them because he he was obviously the biggest, uh, one of the biggest stars in, in Spain and now, you know, coming to England and, and that would, yeah, a whole new breed of fans, I, I would imagine. Um, and, and especially with a team, you know, as Barcelona is kind of a team that's in a little bit of a decline. Uh, and, and so just to see him maybe be in a team that's still kind of at a level, uh, I think it would just be amazing. It would bring a lot more fans, certainly.
0: I don't know what you were thinking Carl when you were listening because I saw you Yeah, you know I saw your reaction we do this recording on Zoom is there any fear that you have that if Messi comes that we'll as a club get accused even more of just trying to buy success, or or trying to buy fans, or whatever. Was that what was or was that in your mind at all then when you yeah, were it,
3: reacting? It not at all. you know my perspective on that. It makes no difference whether you buy Messi or you don't buy Messi. But you similar community That's what haters do, for the other clubs. That's what they're going to do. Um, regardless. I mean, Messi. ever so often in the, in the life of the generation, there's an iconic player. Maradona was one iconic player. LA iconic. Um, Bobby Charlton iconic. They're iconic players that come to the earth. Messi's one of those players. And to me, the the opportunity to have him come to City, if we can get him, it's up to Leo, we should go for him. He's 33. Fernandinho, two years ago, was 33. 17, 18 season. He was dynamic. Still is dynamic. Sergio Aguero was, what, 32? David Silva just 34. So Messi whether it's jeans, whether it's, clothes, whether it's the way he takes care of himself, still has a lot to give. Now, his role may change. Without love, his role he plays may change. But when you take The Apprentice and The Wizard and put them in this team with Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, Gabriel Jesus, and Ferran Torres, I, I want to see fireworks and magic. And it's not just good for City, it's good for the Premier League. And the numbers go through the roof. And the, mm-hmm. the clubs, status within global football here in the U.S. especially, we'll go through the roof. Think about this, in 2026, the U.S.A. is gonna host the World Cup. Imagine if, if Messi came to city for two years, and they went to New York City for another four years, right at the peak of the World Cup. It's a massive campaign. So for me, it's a no-brainer. Um, people talk about, well, Morris will be upset, or the, you know, Fogun will be upset. They wanna play with Messi. Yes, we have Morris, does he wanna play with Messi? Absolutely, they wanna play with Messi. The game is going to rise up to another level. For me, it's a a no-brainer. Especially if he's free. Even if he's not free. Even if in January we get, you know, we pay, what, 60, 70, maybe 80 million, and Eric Garcia goes along with him, I I would do the deal. Leo is worth every single penny and more to the club and and to the Premier League and certainly to the City football me.
0: Okay, well, let's let's see if that story actually happens because it's not guaranteed to happen, uh, but it certainly feels to me as if it's moved a, a step closer. Um, so, it wouldn't it no longer would it surprise me if it happened? Let's put it that way. There's a couple of other things that obviously I want to mention. One, a subject that's been mentioned quite a bit. Um, and continues to be mentioned over here, which is Pep's call and now Jurgen Klopp's call uh, for five substitutes. So we saw Jurgen Klopp uh, getting quite upset, not only about the prospect of five substitutes being sort of more or less vetoed uh, by the Sheffield United manager, but also the fixtures. Now, as a City fan, and, and if we become really tribal about it, we might say, ah, Liverpool played at 12.30 and they dropped a point or two points. So that's all good news. But if that was City that was being asked to play at 12.30 after a Wednesday game, we'd all be complaining. Jurgen Klopp um, expressed, I don't know if you've all seen the interview that he gave on BT Sport. He expressed his, his disappointment, attacked the, the guy who was interviewing him, who clearly wasn't the man who made the decision. But I actually watched it, it was quite measured, and, and I thought he, he had you know, quite a good point, really. Um, and also, I, I wonder if he slightly changed my mind, because my viewpoint was that five substitutes would very much uh, help the big clubs, which is what the Sheffield United manager is saying, but to be the disadvantage of the clubs with a smaller squad. But now I'm beginning to think maybe I should be a bit more open-minded about this. What, what do you guys think?
3: Well, has said for years, we need to protect the players, we need to protect the artists. Okay. He's been saying it for a couple of years now, no one listened. And all of a sudden, now that uh, COVID's here and we have a, a in the league, everybody's up in arms about it. I, I agree with with, with uh, Jurgen Klopp that we need to have five subs. I think that the amount of games you are playing between now and January is insane. And there needs to be a release valve, if you would, to allow these players to at least rest and have some more rotation. Europe is in, in Germany in Spain in Italy in France they have five substitutions in the Champions League, five substitutions why not in England so for me it, it's I, I think it needs to happen I think it's a sensible thing to do in the interest of the players itself um, now the argument from, from uh, uh, Chris listening Chris Wilder was that well it gives them it gives big teams the advantage yes there is an advantage um, but the reality is what's the margin of difference that's going to make anyway Right to Burnley to Sheffield United to um, teams that are more or less at the bottom bottom of the the table. They are all going to have the same five substitutions anyway. So I think it's just it helps the players, and we need to be considerate of of the needs of the players instead of just an arbitrary. You know, no, we're not going to do it. In my opinion. But what about the
0: scheduling of games, Carl? I mean, do you have any sympathy with what Klopp's saying about that? I, I I
3: mean, if a team plays Champions League on a Wednesday, but shouldn't play 12:30 uh, on a Saturday afternoon, it's just bonkers. Uh, there needs to be reason to have them schedule things in a different way and make it make it make it such that the English teams can win and can do well in the Champions League. Because in France, PSG has a game on Wednesday, Champions League Tuesday, they play on a Friday. Standard every single week. It's not even a, a question. So we need to be considerate of that. The Premier League needs to take care of their own to make sure they can do well in Europe because the coefficient goes up, they make more money, it makes the team we league stronger, we get better players. It all works to the benefit of the league. We have to do it, in my opinion.
0: Paul's a trained, uh, qualified physiotherapist, and I spoke to a physio on my radio program on Tameside Radio this week about the recovery rates of footballers and whether it's a myth. City played two games in forty-eight hours over Christmas, Boxing Day, and the twenty-eighth, both eight o'clock kickoffs, and. Um, I also talked about lower division football, where they've just had a month off because of the latest lockdown here, and it's possible that they may have to play even more than just two games a week. You must have a view on this, Paul, as an ex-player, as a physiotherapist, on the validity of the argument of playing Wednesday and then 12.30 on a Saturday.
1: Yeah, of course. um, It is a concern for the players uh, individually as well, because obviously... You know, they want to play at a standard which befits, you know, wearing our shirt. And if they're not able to maintain those standards because physically they're not capable, and at the same time they are going to risk injury at the same time, then you're going to have players that are going to be playing at 75%, 80% of the max. Uh, so from an entertainment perspective, in wanting to see the, the best players play as a football fan in, in this country and in, in, you know, and obviously across the world, you want to see the best players play. So you mean obviously Liverpool have lost uh, Van Dyke. Now whether you you like him or you loathe him because he's not your player, but he's an incredible footballer, and you, he's a privilege to watch him play. And now this season we're not able to see him play. So you know if you can imagine, we've lost players throughout the season. We lost Kevin De Bruyne for a you know a large chunk of of the previous season. And when you think about it in those terms, there is a real worry that you know you could be it could be potentially your name on the Champions League. But if you're to get three or four key players out injured, that could cost you. It's also about being able to rotate players. And, and like, as you said before there, Carl, I mean, it's all relative, you know, for, for Burnley, for uh, Sheffield United to be able to bring in fresh fresh players. And if your training is is at a level and your coaching and your philosophy is at a level, then it shouldn't matter you know, which player you bring in, you know, like for like, you're never going to get that. You know, obviously City have got, you know, a strength in depth, as have four or five other clubs, where Sheffield United maybe don't have that, but they will have players that know what their system is and can be able to play their system to the best of their ability. And what you'd rather have is players being given the opportunity to show what they can do. And at the same time, you've got players that have got, you know, energy in their, in their legs, you know, and they've got points to prove. You know, I remember when I, when I played, I played against John Barnes, you know, it raised my game. It I played against Ian Wright, against Paul Gasparin, it raised my game. So you've got all these factors that if you trust your squad, if you work with them, then you've got to be able to implement that trust into those players to give them that opportunity. But the flip side to all of this is going to be staying in the Premier League. So for Sheffield United, you know, as an example... You know the cost of that. You know, and and it's the cha- the championship is such a difficult league to come out of. There is that fear, so you're always going to have those counter arguments around what they deem as being fair. But because of the pandemic, because of the nature of get the game at the moment, and and you know whether. In two months' time, we have a game on a Wednesday and then 12.30 on a Saturday, and it evens itself out during the course of the season. It still means that all these players are going to be at risk of injury. It's going to dilute the quality of the games they're going to be watching. And ultimately, as Carl said, it might be the difference between an English side, God willing, that city, and getting to the final Champions League or not. I know it's slightly different in your case, Doug, in that you're
0: not—you uh, know—your fitness levels, which have must by definition be very high to do what you have done and do. Um, it's not—it's not like being a footballer. But can you relate to—you uh, know—the intensity of? one day after another of big game after big game because both in your training and in your job when you do it you must have to be at your peak condition all the time and when you're not able to be at your peak condition then people can say you know he's not as good as, as as he should be is that something you can relate to?
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely think it is because, you know, it, it's, it's the physical conditioning is the one aspect, but the mental conditioning is the other one. And, and just that mental fatigue, I think, catches up to players as well. And once again, I go back to Kevin's comment there at the beginning of the season, you know, where you have seven days off and then you start playing again. You just can't take a break mentally or physically. And then it just keeps stacking itself on top of each other as we get into the festive period. And it's it's kind of like Carl said, you know, the all the other leagues are doing five substitutes, all at Champions League. And it's like, why wouldn't the Premier League want to do it just to protect our teams that are playing in Europa League and, and the Champions League to be on equal ground, be on equal competitive ground with those those tournaments because you're you're already starting maybe at a slight disadvantage uh, from the Premier League if if you're having to play, key players that much more uh, because we can only substitute the three whereas you know the Bundesliga you know the La Liga all those folks get to do the five subs it's just uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted that it even happened this way and, and you sort of get it from the uh, the the other the smaller teams but but in the end I think it's going to catch up with them too I think the competitive advantage with these teams that have bigger depth they're going to do better in the end anyway. So I think trying to game it such with limiting the substitutions, I don't think in the end is going to, is going to play well for them because they just, they'll run out of players too. Their players are going to get hurt just, just like everybody else's seem to be getting hurt. I I know city and Liverpool kind of top that list at the beginning of the season, certainly, but I think it's going to even out a little bit more throughout the 20 teams as we get, uh, Farther down the road with this particular seat. But I think the mental sharpness is key, you know, especially the way we play. Yeah, mental sharpness is key.
0: Obviously, in the job that you did as a, as a fighter pilot, as, a, as an astronaut, sharpness of mind must have been absolutely critical. Do you become sharper of mind purely by doing physical endurance stuff as well? I mean, is that what some of part of what your training was?
2: I think that's the philosophy behind it is the better physically uh, that you maintain yourself, the mentally that allows you not to concentrate on fatigue quite as much. You're in better shape. You can think clearer. You make better decisions. And so I've always felt that way and and certainly uh, flying fighters it was definitely the case because you're pulling g's and you you need to be in shape to pull those g's consistently or constantly over an hour or an hour and a half flight and and so it, it definitely makes a difference from that point of view that and uh i think the other equivalent to football is is being younger helps a lot too you can pull a lot more g's when you're younger than when you're older
0: Now we've gone down this route, I'm sure the other two and everybody listening to this would be as interested as me. Is there an example you can give of when you were glad that your mental sharpness was actually at its best? Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to have your wits about you? Well,
2: I think, you know, certainly it's it's a lot of situations in, in space, certainly where you're constantly, you know, we have, we're time timeline for full days, 18 hour days, or at least 14 hour days. And, you know, you're, 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 you're getting tired, but you can still, you know, because you're in decent shape, you can make those decisions even though you're tired. And I think repetition is the other part of it, you know, training, a lot of training, you know, it becomes very muscle memory, very rote. You can do what you need to do. And I think that's a good equivalent for, for athletics as well. You know, you just, it it just becomes so natural. So ingrained that, that you do it that way as well. So I think we, we do definitely do things that mirror what uh, athletes do to, to stay sharp.
0: Well, I couldn't do what you did and I couldn't do what Paul did. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, I'm full of admiration. What about
3: you, Carl? We must be sitting here in awe, aren't we? Well, if I, I mean, you guys are, you know, it's good, it's good to be amongst great men. Um, so my job is more, again, it's more mental. Um, I'm a consultant here in, in DC and if you're working with customers and clients, you have to be sharp. They ask you questions to solve problems. You have to be sharp. You have to be... You have to be um, Uh, physically fit and work very long hours um, day and night uh, and you just need to know when you need a break Um, I also coach I coach uh, U12 Um, I'm doing my D license now so I can U12 I coach high school high school kids as well and it's clear you know they're not rested if they're fatigued they don't think clearly they don't make good decisions they're not as fast or as dynamic they don't understand instructions so you have to have those breaks in place to uh to have that happen. We just finished our season here in DC, uh, the, the, the two teams, we have a fall season. again following follow all the rules and social distancing and washing of hands and use sanitizer. And again, it's still, you need to have breaks. We're on a break right now until next spring. So it, it just needs to happen for me. Five substitutions is, is a no-brainer. Other clubs do it, other teams do it. In Europe, we need to do it as well to make sure we have the, the advantage when it comes to the big competitions. Bayern Munich can have five subs right? And they're going to be rested. When we go up against them, either it's Chelsea or City or it's uh, Liverpool, we're going to play them. And so we have to be ready for that.
0: Yeah, you've, you've convinced me, I think. Um, now, on another subject, um, obviously fans over here are going to start to come back into stadiums, albeit in limited numbers. Um, for those who are listening in other countries who might not be aware of this, um, from a week well, basically from the beginning of well next next weekend, shall we say. Um, There will be 2,000 fans in what are called Tier 2 levels in England allowed into stadiums. Now, those two Tier 2 areas don't include Manchester, but they do include Liverpool, Southampton, uh, London and City are playing Arsenal soon. Uh, They're playing uh, away to Everton and away to Southampton. Those three clubs will all be allowed as it stands at the moment, things change all the time. 2,000 fans in. If one of those was to drop into Tier One, then they would be allowed 4,000 fans in. Now those are relatively small numbers. Um, I-, I wonder if um, you know that gives an advantage to the team that has the fans in against the teams who are playing with no fans in, or do you not think it makes any difference?
3: So if I mean, so I watched a couple of Champions League games uh, a couple of weeks ago, where in Russia where they had fans, uh, the Ukraine had fans too. I think they still lost. Um, but it's, for me, it's not about the advantage to the players; it's about the fans, the local fans. I don't know why we can't say, okay, instead of having 2,000, let's have 500. Start up for everyone and, and manage it properly so that follow the guidance, follow the rules. Let's start with that and then experiment and see what happens. I don't know why you have a tier one and a tier two. I get the COVID R rates are high in some areas and others but there are things you can put in place the small sample size to try out and see how it works because it's the local fans it's the businesses it's the people who need this for their mental health that it affects the players will play whether they're fans or no fans 2,000 will make a material difference in my opinion but it's the local fans it's the city fans who weren't able, weren't able to go to the go to the Etihad versus the Liverpool fans weren't able to do that as a whole ecosystem that needs to be thought through and balanced, in my opinion. I think, I think fans should be allowed to go back, but in a, measured, in, a, in a measured way, maybe 500 as a test case across the board and then watch and see how, how that plays out over time.
0: But the bottom line is you don't think it gives any advantage to those teams who have those 2,000 in?
3: I, I, don't, I don't think so. Not, not at this level of the Premier League. Um, maybe, maybe lower league, but not, not at the Premier, level, Premier League level. As I mentioned, I, I saw examples in Russia and Ukraine where uh, they were battered by teams coming in there when they had fans. Um, still didn't win win a game. Um, even in Germany at the beginning of the season, where they, I think Dortmund had some fans, and um, so it, it. I don't think it gives an advantage.
0: You've been in the middle of of all this, Paul. You've played, albeit probably not in many crowds of two thousand. But can two thousand make a difference to the players? Well.
1: If if it was Poznan and they brought their microphone with them, then it might be a bit louder than <laughs> three thousand fans. But so the bring with them is every every fan brings a megaphone. It might be a bit louder, but um, no, not 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 really. You know, I, I don't see that as being um, m- much of an assistance to any team. Even that was going to be you know if we were in tier two. I I just don't see that. Like say. If, for the, for the fans to come back, it's got to be en masse for it to really make a difference. And, and you know, if you look at Liverpool, they've really missed their fans, you know, at Anfield. Um, and more so than, than, say, other teams, certainly Sheffield United, are desperate to get their fans back. You know, and I was speaking with one of the first team players, uh, I, I won't name names, um, from uh, Arsenal, that said that he played at um, Bramar Lane. And uh, it, to use his, his, his kind of phrase was, it was a double, It was easy because the fans weren't there. So, you know, you see that how important it is for fans. It's not for money anymore, but the game isn't the game without fans. More so than ever, we recognise that. And the fact, like say, about having the, the, the local fans being given the opportunity. And we even see on social media now that some of the Chelsea fans are not happy because they're being priced out. £75 for a ticket, you know, so mental health, you know, is is huge. It is for the fans. It's also for the players. And Doug made a fantastic point about that that mental fatigue, you know, in terms of players, you know, the whole game needs to recognise mental health will be a huge issue for everyone. You know, not having fans is going to feel strange anyway, but to have 2000 here and 2000 there and still not been able to get to the games, you know, is going to be equally, you know, were painful for fans. So we'd have to manage this really, really well. I think having the games uh, alive, having fan noise, maybe appease, it may be, may, may be annoying to some fans, but either way, in 2,000 fans and 4,000 fans into a stadia that can fit upwards of, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 fans is, is literally background noise. It's nothing more. I make more bonds about the fact
0: that as a person who's gone home and away with City for 40 years, Uh, and literally every game, home and away, uh, that the absence of match attending for me has had a very bad effect on my mental health. And I don't say that lightly. I've I've found it tough. I have found it really tough. As a working journalist, I've uh, been able to go to one or two games recently. Today, I went to an FA Cup tie between Stockport County and Yorville, albeit it was in an empty stadium. So it didn't feel natural and you still didn't have that bond around you with other people. But that gave me a lift. And, and once City fans start to get in and again, I will be anxious even more than I am at the moment to see whether I get a chance to go back. So I can completely relate to what you're saying, Paul, and I know you've had some tough times, which people are aware of in the past in your own life. So I know you speak from a a position of great authority there and I respect your view very strongly. Um, Obviously I don't know what entirely has been happening in other sports in America. Perhaps you can, can tell us Doug. I mean, I'm a quite. I wouldn't say I'm a huge baseball fan, but I have an interest in baseball. But I personally, because of the situation we're in at the moment, I've disengaged with a lot of sport other than City. So I haven't didn't watch any baseball this season at all. But I assume that baseball, uh, NFL, um, uh, things like that, have had no crowds either, or they introduced some crowds back.
2: It, it's kind of the same thing, and. Um... You know, I, in fact, I watched a college uh, American football game the other day that had some fans, but then NFL games, the National Football League don't have fans. The NBA played in a bubble. They called it a bubble down in Orlando. They played the whole season that way with no fans. Uh, I think hockey did something similar. So it's been it's been tough for, for a lot of you know, I think throughout the world, uh, you know, and I don't think to any degree have they let fans back. I think motor racing, there has been some fans coming back to to those types of sports, those outdoors, big outdoor venues, uh, potentially very small crowds, but uh, crowds nonetheless. But it's, yeah, it's the same. And I, I kind of feel like you do. It's just for me as a fan, you know, we were, like Carl mentioned, we were at that same Shaka game, uh, the seven to nothing Shaka game, my son and I. Uh, uh we we've come over for the last few years and we're on our way over to uh in March last March to come see uh, a couple more games and a Champions League game as well and and we're not able to go we had to cancel the trip at the last minute and that I know how that affected me and and my son and and for somebody like uh, cheesy who goes to every home and away game i can't imagine so Maybe just opening up the doors and letting a few people in just for the fans themselves, maybe not so much for the players, but just for the fans themselves to kind of get back some normalcy to their lives uh, will help. I just hope it happens quicker and and we can get beyond this pandemic and get a vaccine and, and get back to normal, hopefully by the following season, maybe. This is
0: an agenda-free question, trust me. It's not meant with any angle to it. But as two American supporters who principally and I'll use this word advisedly, consume, because I know people don't like that, that type of expression, but consume your football, your city, mainly through television. You, you both come over, I know that. Uh, I've met Carl outside the, the Etihad, and, and I know you've you come over as well, Doug. But the fact that you are principally people who watch games on TV... And this is a hard one for you to perhaps answer because you don't know what it's like to be on the other side. But do you think it's affected you less because you're still consuming it in the same way? Or are you still affected by this?
3: I, I think for me, obviously, the, the lack of fans affects the players' performance at some level. So I think about the game uh, City, City versus Liverpool, January 2019 where, I mean, the stadium, I mean, I could hear the noise from 3,000 miles away. Right? <laughs> yeah, imagine it was pretty
0: that, intense that night.
3: <laughs> imagine that game was played behind closed doors. since City don't win that game. We don't win that game, and we don't win the league. And so that effect itself has a way of affecting us back here at home. The Leon game, Champions League, more than likely, if City fans were there, probably would have won it. The, the game we played the Real Madrid away at the Bernabeu, I I, I could hear the City fans. At the, you were there, Ian. I was I could there. hear <laughs> you guys, right? And that's gonna help the players at some point overcome any challenges. So there, there's not a direct effect, but there's an indirect effect in terms of the fact that the results themselves affect how we feel as fans, how I feel as a fan over here. Because you see the fact that we're not as aggressive, or not as dynamic as we could be, or we're not as, we're maybe a little tired. And so, while there isn't direct correlation, it, it does affect me somewhat. Now we have this whole stadium noise in the background, which kind of becomes white noise after a while. Um, but, you know, we've adapted, have adapted to it. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing fans back in the stadium at some point. I saw today uh, the New Zealand All Blacks uh, played a rugby game against, I think it was Argentina or someone, and they had fans in the stadium. And it was glorious to watch, to see the fans actually come out and actually support them. So, Hopefully we can get back to normal once the pandemic goes down or is controlled and get a vaccine. Uh, but fans have to be back. The local fans who supported the club have to get back in the stadium. It's where they ought to be. They've been there forever. And so uh, my heart goes out to them that they're not able to do so at this point in time.
0: Has it affected your view,ing Doug?
3: Well, I, I, I agree with Carl. I,
2: I think it's, you know, having had the, just the absolute privilege to, to go see several matches over there and to experience it and i've told you this before cheesy i there is no experience like uh, a premier league match uh, from being in the stadium compared to anything i've experienced uh, at an american sport and you know to not even if it's by you know to to kind of see it from a distance when you're watching it on tv knowing that that experience isn't going on just somehow affects you this the same way you know you at least we have the game at least we've we've kept playing you know we had certainly had those three or four months where we didn't play at all was uh that was really difficult um and then at least we now have the game uh televised uh, behind closed doors but just knowing the experience that goes on at each match to me is you know it, it needs to happen again and the sooner the better uh, obviously safely uh but uh it, it definitely does affect you know kind of your viewing in in, in odd ways and you think about it and in fact i know i've had the conversation with my son before it's just you can't hear yourself think most of the time when you're watching the game it's just incredible that the, the noise from the crowd and the chanting and the songs uh to not have that going on you know and the the, the as I'll put it. the white noise the fake crowd noise just doesn't do it, doesn't do it justice so very much looking forward to having that that back hopefully soon.
0: Final question then for this podcast. Um, we're not quite at the Manchester Derby yet that's on the 12th of December but United have won again. Um, United stay above city I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, it's not something we've been used to in recent years. Um, I'm not suggesting that it's a city United title shootout but are we looking now at um, a, you know, United in this title race or is it just a matter of time before <laughs> what has become normality uh, happens and City move ahead of the Reds and we can forget about them and just worry about <laughs> Liverpool and Chelsea and the rest of them?
3: I think, I think it's, it's anyone's at this point this season, frankly. Um, I said it from day one, this is anybody's title. Um... Including United? including United, including United. It's, it's a weird season. Anything can happen. Um, and they're, you know, we've lost two games. They've lost three. They've drawn one. So there's one point above us, which with a game in hand. So, I mean, this, I think when we get to New Year's Day or the day after New Year's Day, we should know where we are as, as, a, as a league. I think the chaff will settle down and the cream will rise to the top. And I think that cream will be City um, certainly, Liverpool will be there, thereabouts. Um, I think United will be in the race. I think so. They have the good players.
0: They Do have Paul. Do you think United are in this race? I
1: think it's a, it's certainly a strange season, as we've already uh, alluded, and and um, with with that in mind, when we see sides like, for instance, Liverpool getting beaten seven, you know, by Aston Villa, it's just been ludicrous, you know, and, and again. You know, Leicester turning City over—it's so it's so um, hit and miss on the day for each each team. It, it, it's difficult to, to manage. But as Carlos mentioned there, and 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 Doug before, we're talking about City. You know, getting into third and fourth gear and and keeping that consistency. And I think if City can keep players fit, uh, certainly we'll be there thereabouts. Um, there's always going to be um, levelled at United. Is their their frailties as a, as a back four unit? It's, it's not particularly strong, but they are only you know a stone's throw from the, the sort of top positions, and no one's running away with it. Which for, for football fans in general, it's really really exciting, and I think we all want it to be that way. We want it to be to be closer um, for everyone concerned. Ideally, with United at the bottom of that list. But that said. Still, it being a, being a, a, a lot tighter, so I would suggest that you know um, maybe Everton as well this season could be there thereabouts. So you're going to have five, six, seven teams really exciting, and without a shadow of a doubt, United have got the quality in their ranks on the day to beat anybody. So yeah, you cannot write United off as much as I'd like to. I'm sure
0: we'll talk about the Derby match in a lot more detail next week, but uh, to finish off this podcast, Doug, are you worried about United?
2: Well, they, they seem to, they seem to play well a game or two and then they, then then they don't, you know, or they play a a half pretty badly and then they come back and play a half pretty well. So yeah, I think with them, their inconsistency is is probably what gets the best of them now, but it, it, They've got the quality players. They 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 uh, Bruno Fernandez has played very well. You know they they just uh, you know Cavani is starting to kind of hit his stride as well. So you know they do have great players, uh, but uh, you know we're still going to beat them.
0: Well, it's been an absolute joy to to host this podcast. Um, but, uh, I would urge you, if you've not already looked at it, go, go on the Forever Blue YouTube channel and have a look at the interview that I did. It was broken down into four sections with uh, Colonel Doug Hurley, who is a pro... As you can tell when you've listened to this podcast, he knows his stuff. He's a proper City fan. So have a look at his career. Look at that interview. Uh, Paul and I uh, are together so many times it's untrue, but read his book. Um, fantastic, fantastic book, if you haven't already read it. Uh, and Carl, you'll be welcome back on the podcast anytime. Thanks very much to Charles Louis dot uk that's charles l-o-u-i-s charles Louis.co.uk. chartered mortgage advisors at the base not too far away from, from the manchester area uh, dave is the ceo of that company and i'm sure he'd love to take a call from you saying i've heard you about you on the forever blue podcast with that ian cheeseman um, and he will help you in any aspect of buying selling a house mortgage and all the rest of it so thanks very much to the three of you to, to colonel doug uh, to and to Carl Uh, I'll be back with another podcast with another squad of uh, talented people they'll have to do well to match these three um, uh, next week so in the meantime um, keep following the Blues and remember as I always say it's great to be a Blue